Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from TeachingBooks.net. Teaching Books strives to personalize each reader's connections to children's and young adult books. Discover thousands of resources that bring books and reading to life. Sign up for free today at TeachingBooks.net. I'm going to have a hard time talking to you today because I, I I don't know if my email totally communicated. I am obsessed with your books. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to have a wonderful conversation. I can't wait. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 650. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner or on PayPal at Children's BK Pod if you want to support the show. Today I'm joined by Lamar Giles, author of the legendary Alston Boys Adventures, including The Last Mirror on the Left, the most recent book in the series. I connected hard with the Alston boys and am all in for every page turn with Otto and Sheed and the memorable cast of characters that seem to threaten the very existence of time itself at every turn. Each book passes at breakneck speed and the stories akin to what would happen if the Hardy Boys series crashed into the Phantom Toll Booth remind readers that the small things you do can have a big effect on your future. Please welcome my guest, Lamar Giles, author of The Legendary Alston Boys Adventures. I'm Lamar Giles. My pronouns are he and him. And I'm the author of a bunch of books, young adult mystery novels, my middle grade fantasy series, The Legendary Alston Boys of Logan County. Um, Logan County is a place that's not dissimilar from where I grew up, which is a town called Hopewell, Virginia. It's a factory town right in the middle of Virginia off the James River. And I grew up seeing factory workers because my mom was one. I grew up seeing firemen because I had an uncle who was a fireman. And I grew up seeing soldiers because we were right next to an army base. But I never saw any writers. And so I grew up really loving story and loving to read. Started making up stories at a very early age, but never really thought about it as a potential career. And I'm happy that I eventually stumbled down that path and I'm able to be here telling stories and talking to you, Matthew. Lamar, I am happy that you stumbled down that path. That's mm-hmm. so wonderful. And you, it sounds like you're, you're close-ish to me. I'm just outside of Baltimore. So we're, oh, yeah. we're close enough. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm um, I'm in Harrisonburg, Virginia now, so I'm just two hours south of D.C. Oh, so, you're, um, you're yeah. close to the degree that, like, we could actually meet one day. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I rem- um, matter of fact, I think what, – what, do you ever go to NCTE or any oh, of those yeah. conferences? I was in okay. I was the Baltimore one when it yeah, was there two Yeah, years I was ago. there too. So we probably crossed paths and didn't even recognize it. Well, then that was our first time, and I'll look forward to our second time. That's great. Well, I'm so glad that you're on the show with me today. More importantly, I am so grateful that the legendary Alston boys came across my desk, or rather, I should just be honest and say they came across my ears, because I'm a terribly slow reader, and um, I, I, I really rely on audiobooks, and I'm really proud to say that I've connected with a lot of readers in in my own library work that that are the same and you have fabulous audiobooks for your Alston Boys books so it's it's just I'm I'm so glad that I got to I mean really sort of ravenously devour both of your books <laughs> it's been great <laughs> well, well I'm happy to hear and I want you to know I'm a huge audiobook fan as well um my wife doesn't know how I do it. She tends to ask, how do I keep it straight? Because I'm always listening to like three audio books and reading two other books. Yeah, exactly. Almost simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. Do you do it across? Sorry, we need to get into your books, but I'm really inter- interested in this. Sure. Do you do it across formats? Like the way I seem to manage it is I'm always, always reading comics. That's that's very easy oh, for me, me to too. be always me reading comics. But if I'm reading like a middle grade and a YA and then on audio, I'm listening to, well, I listen to like all my podcasts, but on audio, I'm, I've got like a middle grade going and then a, I don't know, a biography going. I feel like they're different because it's almost like watching different TV shows or something. I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm the same way. So like, I'll have like a nonfiction book going on audio. I'm listening to three ring circus, which is about the Los Angeles Lakers. Then I'll also have like a fiction audio book, which the last one I finished I'm not going to tell you any lies I, because I listen to so much. I have to actually open the app to see what I listened to last. Right. Um, but, it, but yeah, and I'm, I read a comic every night and then I'm reading usually between a YA and a middle grade or something on my iPad. I, you know, I think it's good to be picking up and, and putting down so many things so often. I feel like living that out and letting, letting younger readers know that that's what your reading life looks like gives them the chance to see that like, Oh, I could be a reader like this too, of just juggling a lot of different stories and hopping into whatever I feel like is calling my name right now. I think that's a great thing. I think it is. I mean, and I think it's whatever works, right? Like if oh, no you're doubt. a reader who, who has to get through one thing before you go to the other, nothing wrong with that. But if you're like us and you have to have several things going at once, <laughs> absolutely. Whatever. I feel like, like any way people can consume whatever they love to read is the right way. Yeah, as long as you talk about it, because I always want people to tell me what books they're reading, because I get excited when other people are excited about books. That's such a driving force for me. And that's really, if to connect it back in, that's really what led me to your books. A publicist reached out and was like, hey, have you heard of these books? Would you consider um, reading the newest, which is um, The Last Mirror on the Left? And I was like, wait, but there's there's a first book. I haven't read the first book yet. Um and and that sent me down this this really cool path, Lamar, of, to be honest, I only, I, I am a judge a book by the cover kind of person, and I love the covers of your books. And I was like, oh, I want to I read these. These sound great. Um, but I didn't expect or didn't anticipate that under the cover I would get what to me feels like 
a zany mashup of, I don't know, of A Wrinkle in Time and the Phantom Tollbooth and like so many of my favorite things. Maybe what I'm realizing now in this moment, Lamar, is that what I'm seeing is like, I'm looking at a writer who feels much like the person that I am as well. Maybe I just feel like I'm connecting with you as a writer, but I love these stories that you've chosen to tell to our to our readers and I'd love I'd love to get into a little bit. Do you mind sharing a book talk or however you introduce sure. the legendary awesome boys to to kids that haven't met them yet? Sure. Well before I do that, I want to just mention because you brought up the cover, I gotta shout out Dapo Adiala, who was the illustrator. Uh he lives in the UK. He's fantastic. And if you judge books by the cover, when you see his work, you know you're getting something good. Uh, no doubt. And as far and as far as introducing the Austin boys to readers, what I say is the last, last day of summer is like the Hardy boys crashed into the Phantom Toll booth. Otto and Sheed are the supernatural detectives of Logan County. And on the last day of summer, they are tricked by a stranger into freezing time. And that unleashes a bunch of wacky characters into their small town. And they have to either align, align with these characters or combat them to save the day. Um, it's very much the book of my heart. I think the connection you're feeling, I think we're probably very similar in our taste, maybe even what we grew up consuming. Yeah. And so you probably recognize a lot of the things in there that influenced me to try to create like all the fun, weird stuff I love and mash it up and make it make sense. The, in the first book, in the last, last day of summer, the, the play on words specifically with all of the characters named after time named after um, just turns of phrase that we have for time. That felt very much like a love letter to, to Norton Juster, to Phantom Tollbooth, but it also just felt like, well, let me back up. Your book starts and mind you, I don't, I don't have copies of the books. I've listened on audio. So I'm not like earmarking. This is all just from like, from memory and from what really imprinted on my soul, I think. But I love that you have these boys that we start off. And Lamar, I'm like, wait, am I missing another 20 books about these boys? Because <laughs> we start off and it's just like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, we're going to see if we can get more keys to the city because that's what we do. We're legendary. I'm like, what is this story that has a confidence and a presence. And I love that. I would love to know before we go too deep into either of the stories, how these books or maybe how these boys came into your brain as your muse for these stories, because the way you tell them is just so fun. Well, you picked up immediately on the Phantom Toll booth being a huge influence. Uh, like I said, when I, when I tell kids about the book, I bring that book up. It meant a lot to me growing up, but it was one of those books that was very much like all the other books I was reading when I was a kid, which I didn't see kids that looked like kids from my neighborhood. And that was fine. I could separate the fiction from my real life, but I also always longed to have that sort of adventure myself. As an adult, I sort of have started to write these books where I'm trying to revise history. And I'm imagining if I grew up with these books and I know it's well beyond my time, but now I know there's probably kids out there who will want the same thing and I can sort of help provide that. So when you see Otto and Sheed in Last Last Day of Summer and Last Mirror on the Left, they are very much representations of what I think of myself, my cousins, my friends, and all the little adventures we would go on in our town when we were young. And 
the thing you mentioned about it seeming like there were many, many adventures before this, this is like the very first thing I love that I tried to mash up that people may not recognize. That's Star Wars. And George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, talked about when he wrote the very first movie, he wanted it to feel like a universe that had been lived in, that adventures had taken place over thousands of years before we meet Luke Skywalker. And so hearing him say that many years ago, gave me the confidence to do what you picked up on. I think that I never would have made that Star Wars connection. And yet it it makes me feel, yeah, that's probably the ineffable quality about why I liked Star Wars so much was that it felt like it wasn't that I was trying to catch up on one particular story, but rather it was a whole universe of stories. And this is just the one that I'm watching the, the film, the trilogy to, to understand that's how this book runs too that in in Otto and Sheed's just start with what adventure are we going to do now what are we going to do to try to earn another set of keys to the city it's it's like what maneuvers are we going to run what um people are we going to run into and more importantly like we have we have these sort of uh competing forces that are also trying to get keys to the city the girls that are and it's I feel like whenever I come across a book that does this, I, I always, uh, I think, show my hand in that I'm such a fan of books that hold that space for readers. I can imagine you walking into a classroom full of children saying like, well, what is that story that, that she and Otto did to earn the other keys or when they had to battle this thing? All the sort of like throwaway lines of, of past adventures feel to me like invitations to readers to to tell these stories and to know these stories and that that's a mighty power that you wield right from like the first 10 pages of the book so the fact that your muse or your sensibilities were informing you to tell the story that way i think just affirms immediately that you the writer are on the side of the reader from page one and that's great and I, I'm glad you said that because there was actually, I believe I got an email from a teacher last year that talked about the readers in their classroom trying to make up the sort of adventures Otto and she might have been on before we meet them. That's great. And I just want to put it out there. If anyone's listening, I, I, I would love if someone wants to continue that tradition. Um, I'm fully on board with fan fiction. I'm fully on board with children taking these stories and letting them inspire them to write their own stories. I don't know that I would be here if someone hadn't encouraged me to to run with stories I love and try to make up my own endings and beginnings and middles. So if anyone out there is listening and you have a classroom that wants to try it, I would love to hear what they come up with. That invitation to play in the world has, has got to be, it's just got to be infectious for kids, especially when you're doing what you're doing, which is almost, I feel your story almost dares you to imagine even further especially going into book two but book one where you have um you know father time and you have the the Minutemen and second guessers and all of these different characters in this um mirror emporium that then then you have this there, there there's 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 great moments in here where, where we are trying to save time and figure out why these boys can have an influence over time being frozen and what what that can mean to 
Oh, there's so much here. I you can probably hear me like trying to not give away no, endings. I'm trying not I, to give away endings, but to I understand, meet, I understand. to meet We're someone in the future. Conscious. I know, right? To meet yeah. someone, the Lamar. To meet someone from the future who knows your story intimately, and to be in a story about time where suddenly you're thinking, well, if you already know how this goes, then. What does that mean for me, who is living this story current, living this story currently, not knowing how things go? You play with time in such a fun way that, uh, yeah, no, I just keep keep telling me more, keep telling me about this process, sure. this story. Well, I, I'll say this before I go there. Someone someone tweeted something the other day, and I wish I'd heard this phrase back when I was drafting this because I think. I would have tried to like wrap my mind around it more and put elements of it in the story. And it was something like when you watch time travel movies, people are always concerned with time travelers going to the past and changing something small that affects the present. But no one's ever concerned with changing something small in the present to affect the future. And when I heard that, I thought back to the last, that last, last day of summer. I'm like, you know, that's something that without spoiling anything, one of our characters pretty much tries to get across to one of our other characters. The idea that the things you can do now can have a big impact in the future. And if you didn't know it, I'm here to tell you. And that sort of thing is something that it serves a story, but I think thematically in real life, I want that message to go out to young readers. The idea that the small things you do now can have a big effect on your future. And don't ever let someone tell you otherwise. I really am conscious of what Otto and she can mean to any reader, but a particularly young black readers, because when you think about fantasy, the idea that this is something that we don't actually have in our world, something I put in there that I don't talk about a lot is I think the biggest fantasy in these books is that there are four black children in a Southern town that are beloved by their whole community. And when I talk, about writing to revise my own past that's something i wish existed but honestly did not and and so it really brings me joy to write these characters where they're young black and the city loves them for the good they do did you read books with young black characters when you were growing up because it strikes me not only now are we are we starting to get more books that that hold that space but it also strikes me that you know publishing has a a way of telling us what what we're ready to read or what we're allowed to read there are gatekeepers in every step along the way and it's not lost on me that um many many black authors have turned to self publishing because that's how you make that door open. And I think about folks like Kwame Alexander, or I think about like Jerry Craft, about finding that space by making that space in comics and starting his own publishing house and how he's making that space and opening that space for others. And how when I read the well, either of these books, when I read The Last Last Day of Summer, it feels like, when have I read a fantasy book, a time travel book starring two black leads or, 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 or a, a, a large cast of black characters just allowed to be brilliant kids, genius kids, saving the town 
and not not having to confront black pain i feel like these are mm-hmm. these books are imp- all books are important and they serve but in this way these books feel like you're helping to pave the way for other people to tell their stories too well the way i think of it is well, to answer your first question growing up no i didn't read a lot of books with black characters i didn't even know they existed mm-hmm. and I didn't know until I was in my teens and I discovered some Walter Dean Myers books. So it, I, there were books out there, but I didn't know how to find them. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm telling on myself in terms of age. I grew up before the internet was a thing. I was a teenager when the internet became a thing people had in their households and you could try to start searching for things. So, you know, I relied on the Dewey Decimal System and library and recommendations. Yeah. And uh, by and large, I did not find books about black kids that I recognize. And so I'm happy to be contributing to that now because I always said, once I realized there was a potential to make a living doing this job, I knew that I could not make a living doing it if I wasn't writing black characters. And the thing you mentioned about black pain, as you said, we need all those books, but this is where I've been blessed. I have friends who've written books that are fantastic, that are about social ills, and the things that are necessary for everybody to read so we can try to squash out things like racism and brutality with police. I'm glad those books are there, but because I have friends that have written such fantastic books in that regard, it means I don't have to. And so I'm able to write something a little bit different to give a wider variety of books featuring black characters. And there are many, many writers who are getting opportunities now that I don't think would have gotten opportunities a decade ago. I started self-publishing. A lot of people don't know that. I used to write under my initials, L.R. Giles. I used to write adult books. And I couldn't get into the industry otherwise. I self-published. I had some success there. But when I started writing children's books, I was able to write a novel called Fake ID, which got me a deal with HarperCollins. And that began me on the path of writing children's books, which I love. But I do recognize the story of the gatekeepers don't make room for us. Um, many times when I was trying to break into the industry, I'd written perfectly good work. The rejection letter would say something like, this is great, but we already have somebody that does what you do. And that wasn't true. They didn't have someone who did what I did. They had another black author. And therefore, they felt like that slot had been filled. Thankfully, things seem to be shifting. I think there's still a lot of work to do, but I'm glad that so many other writers get an opportunity we couldn't get before. Yeah. Lamar, I've been in, I've been in education for 16 years. I've been in the library for 14 years. And in that time, I feel so blessed to see children. If in the right school setting and with the right adults that are helping to affirm them and lift them up, I feel like I see children with agency in a way that I did not know as a child. And I have children at my current school who demand representation in their books. They are looking to see themselves and they're looking to communicate to those people that make those decisions about putting books in front of them, looking to communicate to them their need and want uh, to see books where they see themselves and that's that's 
from all different um, all different lenses, whether that is through um, the religion that they um, that that they follow, or or from their cultural background, or from their family um, dynamic. I think that it's a, a beautiful thing. And when you talk about um, that, a publisher saying that we already have a book like yours, and and it being code for something different, I feel like we're at this beautiful place now where we've always said that in teaching we touch the future, but I feel like, oh no, now KidLit is touching the future too because the kids that are reading these phenomenal books that are coming out are writing and I'm seeing them writing. And these kids can just publish it online. They can share on these fan fiction forums and with their friends and it's just... It's so exciting. I hope you're seeing it I too. Think, I am. I, am. I think I, I listened to an episode you did with um, Varian Johnson and Shannon Wright. And I think I remember one of them saying, like, can you imagine what the kids who are reading this stuff now are going to be writing, like, I guess, like 10, 15 years down the line? I'm paraphrasing. They didn't say it yeah. exactly like that. But I got the gist of, like, I can't wait to see what the next batch does with what they've been exposed to. Um, and I, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm overjoyed to be one of the people who can provide some of this stuff. And I can just imagine the level of creativity that's going to come from the next writers and illustrators down the line. Lamar, you are, to pick up a word that you just dropped, I, I believe you are an extremely creative writer and you write with a sense of it it with a it feels as if you are allowing your brain and your creativity to just go unhinged and imagine whatever you want. I think about in the last mirror on the left, which um, posits uh, alternate worlds that we can access through mirrors, but also mirrors as as jail cells to contain criminals throughout different worlds and times. And uh, one of the most fascinating ideas in the in that book I found was this notion that in, in a, a different version of, of a world, we could be afflicted uh, in such a way that our, our own weaknesses, as it were, maybe our own stubborn head headedness or something like that would, would end up being uh, manifested in our symptoms. Mm-hmm. These types of ideas are, Awesome. They light up my brain in such fun ways. I wonder when you write these books or when you go to, to pace out these books, are you a person that, that has notebooks just full of amazing ideas that come to you in the middle of the night? Are you sort of a, a pantser when you write, just writing by the seat of your pants and whatever comes, you just you just let that muse be channeled through your pen? What do you find writing looks like for you? I prefer to be a pantser, so I prefer to write and just see what happens. So and you may have heard this before, but the way publishing works and the way my career has gone, a lot of times I'm not allowed to be a pantser because of the way we make a living. I often have to plot out a book in a lot of detail to sell it before I write it, mm. um, which is something maybe not every listener may get if they're not in this business. But I started out always wanting to write things from the seat of my pants. This business has made me be more of a plotter the Austin Boys books are the exception to that. 
because this is Kwame Alexander's imprint, and because he gives all of us at Versify so much creative freedom, I am allowed to not really tell them a ton about what the books are going to end up being. I have to give them like a brief idea, like a paragraph. That's what Kwame said, write a paragraph. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give us a paragraph. How do you write That's a Kwame paragraph thing. for these books? I can't even, this is amazing. <laughs> exactly, but, but it, it allows for so much more freedom than the detailed synopses I typically have to turn in for like my young adult stuff. And when I get that freedom, I'm sort of like, hey, whatever works, works. I'm throwing in the kitchen sink. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and having listened to the books, you probably get a, a really clear sense of how so much stuff can go in there. And, and the exercise I get is trying to make it make sense, which is a fun challenge. That that I was going to say, that feels like the fun challenge. I'm going to do this thing. How can I make it be a puzzle piece that fits into the puzzle that I'm building? And exactly. that 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 not like... Not doing the backwards exercise of like, well, this is the reality of world. What is the the thing that I can do? But rather allowing the, the creative, absurd ideas to to then link to a, a strand of reason that will make them work, I think is the whimsy that that makes every page turn in this book just so wonderful. I found, quite frankly... Um, I can't remember how long the books are, maybe like four or five hours. That sounds like a typical middle yeah, grade ish yeah, yeah. length. Um, but I found that you also write in such a way that if, if you are plotting, I feel like you plot the ending to be the last two pages of your book, which is not always what happens in middle grade. Sometimes we have like a good, like, okay, we, we can feel the book winding down over the, the final three or four chapters. I feel like you really give us action to the end and and the result for me was i probably it's a a sensibility of reading comics this is probably where this is coming from but but that feeling of like oh i just can't wait till the next book i know that i know that there's more here that we're just wrapping up here quickly so that we can uh hopefully get to what the next book is and the next and leaving that space again for your readers to feel like I've reached the end of this book, but my brain gets the gift of being able to just keep living in this world and wondering and thinking on that. That just felt really gratifying reading both of these books, really. Yeah, and You know, the way those books end, that's very much it's a, it's a combination of comic book and growing up watching TV in the 80s. And oh, yeah. I specify the 80s. I guess I could say the 90s, too. Um, because we watch TV differently now, right? Like the very much the streaming era, the binging era. But if you watch TV, which I did with my grandfather when I was very young, we used to watch like the detective shows like Magnum P.I., um, MacGyver. Those shows in the 80s, you had to make time in your schedule to get there, right? They were yeah. going to come on at 8 o'clock whether you were there or not. And there were going to be four commercial breaks. And at the start of the commercial break, you're going to be left with something about to happen or something someone's in danger and you need to get up and get your snack or run to the restroom and be back before that commercial ended. And so that sensibility has really played into all of my writing. And I don't know like if people who watch television now, particularly young people who rely on streaming services and things feel that same urgency that I used to feel where it's like, I can't mess up and miss the start of this um, show when the commercial break ends, because then I won't know what happened. Or I got to be here next week for the next episode or else 
I may never see this episode for another two years on some random rerun. And I try to put that sort of urgency in everything I write. I love that. I've never heard that comparison before of, of watching television. And I'm also, I'm also picking up Lamar cause I'm, you bring up the commercial breaks and it makes me think about how so much of those commercial breaks also feel then like the end of the chapter pulling you to the next chapter. Um, it feels mm-hmm. like when we, when we write comics, we talk about how every page turn that bottom last panel on the right hand side has to you know, it has to has to make the reader want to turn that page. So you're mm-hmm. doing every single time. And how the commercial break that's that's what the the moments before the commercial break served. It was to make you stick around through that commercial break. That's uh, I hadn't thought about that. It did also make me immediately think of when I would watch Quantum Leap and how at the very end mm-hmm. of Quantum Leap it was like you're going to want to watch next week because here is a glimpse of what will happen next week. Um, it, it was that it was that oh boy moment, right? That oh boy, boy moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, I, I, I. First of all, I love Quantum Leap. That's why I, I use the oh boy reference yeah. specifically. <laughs> but and, uh, exactly, exactly, like that, that sort of thing. I mean, I grew up on all those shows. Um, the reboot of the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight. Yeah. Um, Tales from the Dark Side. I was a big. I was big in the horror. I still am. It, all those things like help in creating this rich fantasy world that I think readers want to stay attached to. When did it, at what point for you, did it, did you realize that you had internalized all that? I mean, I'm saying this as a, as a 40 year old man who is just now realizing, Oh, I've, that's probably why I write the way that I write. Cause I've internalized all this stuff that I grew up with and the way that the programming or the media in any way, the way books or comics or whatever I was consuming, um, was was presented to me. Did it take writing or doing something creative like that for you to come to understand yourself that way? Yeah, and I think I can probably pinpoint a rough time frame. It was probably right around the time I sold Fake ID, which is okay. the book that got me into traditional publishing. The reason being, I'm also practical. Um, I grew up around blue collar workers. Um, I worked in corporate America for many years before I was a full-time writer. And I wanted to understand what I needed to do to stay in the business. And I understood that I had done some good work with Fake ID, but it was my first time working with a veteran editor. I learned a lot. Her name was Phoebe Yeh. She's at Penguin Random House now um, in the Crown um, imprint. And in learning from Phoebe and understanding I needed to, uh, I needed to grasp what I was doing well to continue to create good and different work. I started to really think about how I accomplished certain things that people were praising me for. Um, people praised me for my stories being fast paced. Um, they, they, they praised me for having um, social depth woven in, in a way that's not necessarily beating you over the head. And I had to think about how I can continue to do this. So my readers were getting a consistent quality while also allowing me the freedom to explore different subject matter, different characters, and maintain interest. And so I had to start thinking about what worked, where it came from, how I could duplicate it. And I'm also a teacher. I don't know that I mentioned that. I'm at Spalding University's low-res MFA program. And so I have students from time to time. And I had to think about how I can best get across tips, techniques, strategies that they could duplicate. So I would say over the last eight to nine, not eight to nine, seven to eight years, 
I've been working on synthesizing those things. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that that, I can see the connection. I can just see the, the, the threads from one to the other connecting. And I think that that awareness of, well, I guess it's, it's how we do everything, isn't it? It's that next right step. It's, it's, I've done this and now let me take this one more step and this one more step. I'm so glad that you landed with a publisher who says all I need from you is not all I need, but I'm not trying to minimize what Kwame and Versify are doing, but that says what I need from you is that I have the confidence in you, but give me a paragraph, give me a glimpse of what you have in your mind. And then we trust you to run with it. I feel like that is the next step to, to, to where, where you've come from. And that's, Gosh, what comes out is just so wonderful. I'm so grateful. What a gift you have and what a gift you are to our readers. I'm I'm so glad that, that our paths cross, Lamar. Oh, I am too, Matthew. I hope we get a chance to talk many, many more times. Oh, we will. And we're just going to like straight up talk about all of the influences and find like the, how the spider webs of your life and my life just are on top of each other. It's going to be great. Do, oh, I, I get a sense that we have a lot in common. I would love to hear about <laughs> some more of your favorites from sometime soon. There were all of these nuggets that you were saying along the way that I was like, I think we really are. We really did have like very similar childhoods. This yes, is so good. Yes. It's lighting up my brain. Um, are you in a, in, a, in a place, are you on a timeline that you're able to share any stuff that you're working on next? I'm very aware that that different projects may be in places that you can or cannot talk about them, but is there uh, anything that you're working on that, that is coming up uh, that you're able to share with us? Sure. Um, there are several exciting projects in the work, but the, the two I can talk about, which are very relevant to what we're discussing is the third book in the legendary Austin boys series. Great. That's called the last chance for Logan County. And it'll be out probably next fall. And that's book three for Otto and Sheed. And, we announced that we're going to spin off a new series for the Epic Ellisons, who are Otto you and Sheets. Yes. All oh, the Epic Ellisons get a chance. This is so great. Okay, sorry. Sorry, being a fanboy here. No, no, I'm no, going to just no, zip no, it. I'm excited, too. I'm excited, too. <laughs> I, I won't share a title yet because we just have a working title, so I don't want to put it out there if we're going to change it. But Wiki and Lean are going to get their own series, and the first book should be out fall 2022. You're on pace to to be doing about a book a year. That's wonderful. So I hope that, so. I hope so. That, that tells me that that your third Alston Boys book, you've written it, and now it's probably being edited and in, in, in that process, right? Absolutely. Um, we are going to copy edits. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's being illustrated, so more cool illustrations. Um, Otto and Sheet are back. I, you know, I should ask. We were talking about um the illustrations on the cover, but I read the audiobooks. I, I assume you probably have. The the Dapo's done some like spot illustrations throughout. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. That's oh, correct. So I gotta so, get my hands um, on a, on a hardcover copies of these. Well, I mean they're gonna yeah, go I mean, in our library anyway, but mm, can't wait. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Dapo is a genius, and um, yeah, I think you would very much enjoy seeing some of his depictions of those characters that you love. Ah, oh, so good. Well, I I really am. I feel so full of joy and happiness to have met you. You are exactly the person uh, I thought was behind these books. I love that. And I love knowing that 
the readers that meet you get to meet you uh, because these books are fantastic. And I think whether they're meeting, I feel confident now that whether they're meeting you first or the boys first, uh, they're in for a real treat. Thank you so much, Lamar, for spending some time with me tonight. It was my pleasure. I am going to give you a chance to speak directly to those readers. I will actually be talking directly to to my students tomorrow. But this, of course, is a message for all students. So I'll put it this way, though, uh, that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message, Lamar, that I can bring to them from you? Yes. Please tell them that the books they love are the best books in the world. And don't let anyone tell them differently. And that's our show for today. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. If you want to help support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash matthewcwinner, and your support and contributions will directly support and impact my work here. And as always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with your friends through Facebook or Twitter or word of mouth or really any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.